Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of smart, compassionate guests, you will come away with insights and tactics to help you find the agency and space to simplify and declutter your home, time, mental space, and more. Hello, friends. I am super excited about today's guest. Stella Grisant has a master's in happiness, also known as applied positive psychology, and a new book called The Work Happiness Method, Master the Eight Skills to Career Fulfillment. In her book, Stella notes that according to Gallup, 77% of employees around the world feel unengaged and checked out. Yikes. But people do want more than just a paycheck. For example, purpose, passion, joy. So how do we get there? I'm so excited about this conversation with Stella for many reasons. Among them, a number of people chimed in on the Edit Your Life survey that they need help finding joy and purpose at work. Indeed, one person made the request, help me figure out how to be a person, not a robot at work. And also because Stella's framework is around inner skills, which are directly connected to our agency and life. And you all know how much I love personal agency and finding the small ways to ignite big change in life. Welcome, Stella. I am so excited for you to be here today. Oh, I am super excited. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, well, welcome, welcome. And I have a lot of questions for you, so I'm just going to dive right in. Great. And I want to start with inner skills, which I just referenced in the intro. Can you share what they are and why they matter? especially in this age of automation and AI, and also given that one's ability to fortify those inner skills can impact the perspective of whether a new job might solve your problems, or maybe you're fine just staying where you are. Oh, this is such a great question. Thank you. If we, let, if we take a step back and we think about the development of, of what it means to be an employee, it used to be that all that mattered were hard skills. Mm -hmm. Can you do the job? Can you build the widget? Can you write the report? And that, of course, matters. Can you do the job? Uh, But then we realized something else matters. And in the 1950s, this term soft skills started to emerge. And that was about how do you relate to one another? And are you trustworthy? Can you communicate well? Can you build trust? And we all know what soft skills means. And Every year, organizations are spending billions of dollars on the development of soft skills. Yet, as you introed us, we still are disengaged. We're still burning out. And no matter how much we try to amplify how well we get along or how well we do our job, it's not really doing the trick. And inner skills is that new frontier. And that's our future of work if we're going to have a positive future of work. And inner skills refers to how do I relate to myself? Mm. How do I relate to myself? How do I, how do I manage my mind and mood when things go off track? How do I steer my career towards a place that brings me alive? How do I set healthy boundaries when I'm feeling overwhelmed? Right? How do I navigate uncertainty? when I, I've never been in a situation like this. So it's how do we manage ourselves from the inside out? How do we use what agency we have to control our flourishing at work 
and in our lives because there's so much we can't control, but we certainly have so many more choices and more power than we think. And so that's what inner skills is about. And do you think that employees these days understand inner skills or is that that the frontier that your book is going to (laughs) change and revolutionize? I hope that that's the frontier that we're going to revolutionize. I I, I think that inner, inner skills in and of themselves, I would say, aren't like a new idea, right? Like resilience is an inner skill. Uh, but to formally address them as a skill set and to formally create capabilities at work and training around them at work, that is new. Mm. That recognition is new. That acknowledgement is new. And, and it's also new for us as a society because we don't, we haven't grown up learning how to set healthy boundaries. Most of us, I mean, that's kind of new language that's just been coming around, um, I think, to the to the larger conversation um, in the last decade or so. So we're all starting to realize that being happy and flourishing at work and in life isn't a matter of luck. It's a matter of skills. And we can learn these skills and we can learn how to be happier and how to how to live better. I love that framing what you just said and I think the thing that is so encouraging and wonderful about this shift to focus on inner skills is that I mean one of the questions I'm going to ask you about later is about toxic relationships and when you're thinking about the soft skills and the relational skills and all that stuff you still have to dance with somebody else, right? Whereas the inner skills you can really work on a lot of things and your approach to it. And you have so much more agency. I know for me, it's all about cognitive reframing. That's like my tool that I always lean into. Um, So I think it's so powerful. Yes, it is. It's, you know, we can't negate the fact that there are systems that are broken and there are still injustices and you still might be working with an asshole and, you know, things might still be unfair. So things outside of you also have to change. Mm -hmm. But where we have control and agency, we have to do our work there. And that can create dramatic transformation in our outer circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Well, since you mentioned agency and a few minutes ago, you touched on resilience, you have a chapter on resilience. And I loved this early line. You write, the good news is that even if you're stuck in an unideal situation, you actually have more control than you may think to shift it almost immediately. So I'm wondering if you can explain one of your favorite tactics for getting unstuck when you are doom spiraling and everything feels terrible and out of your control. Oh, that's a good one. I have so many and I share a number in the book. In the book, I talk about how I had a trifecta year Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, in it was 2019. So before the pandemic, I had been trying to conceive our second child for years. We were having trouble. Um, so we decided to start IVF, um, and that wasn't working out. And then, um, trying to obviously grow my business and, and write this book and raise our, our five year old at the time. And, uh, and then my mom got diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and that was mm-hmm. that was beyond right. Mm-hmm. And then 
And then I learned that I carried the BRCA mutation, which meant that I was at risk for ovarian and breast cancer. And I should, by the age of 40, remove my ovaries and um, even consider a double mastectomy. Mm -hmm. So I was, I think, 38, 39 at the time trying to conceive. So my clock was ticking. And then all these questions came up around, do we keep this you know, embryo, if it has this mutation and what, you know, what are the implications? And then, and then the pandemic, and then my grandparents, like so many things went wrong in that, like, it felt like nonstop. And the tool that I kept returning to is, um, what, what is true right now? What is true and comforting for me in this moment right mm. now. And it's it's another way of saying how do I, you know, you know, be present, but um it it was a way for me to wrangle myself into the present moment by saying, okay, what's absolutely true right now? I'm healthy. You know, when I got when I learned that I had the BRCA1 mutation, suddenly I was like worried and anxious that I had, you know, that, that I was sick or that I had a disease. And then I was like, no, that's not true. Stella, you are absolutely healthy right now. Mm -hmm. What else is true? Stella. Okay. My mom is with me and she's doing great right now. What else is true? You have an amazing dog. No. So I just had to keep, I have food in the fridge when the pandemic hit, we have power. We have people who are taking out our garbage, our, our, I'm able to do virtual work. I have a loving family. So it is about getting hyper-focused on what is absolutely true in this very moment. Because when we are anxious, we are worried about uncertainty. We are worried about something that hasn't happened. It's not that we're feeling scared about a present danger. We are imagining all these different possibilities that actually are not true. And so how do we negate that? We return to what is true in this moment. And sometimes it felt like I was slicing time microsecond by microsecond, like I was balancing on a grain of sand moment by moment being like, what is true right now? Okay, where am Mm -hmm. I right now? What's the feeling of the chair underneath me right now? And that's how I made it through some really difficult times. Well, thank you for that candid sharing. And I just, well, first, I feel like you and I have a lot to talk about offline (laughs) outside (laughs) of the recording. And yes, I mean, I think it is so important to anchor to what's true. And I think also in the last couple of years when I've been dealing with a a lot of hard things, I've really focused on the tiny micro joys that are immediately in my reach and are, are totally manageable and accessible. It's, it's kind of related, you know, it's, so I think that that is important. Oh my goodness. Well, Stella, I have many more questions for you. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Oftentimes when asked to think about what one would do with a bonus hour, people reference things like exercise, play, and rest. These are all super important things, and I would recommend adding getting the support you need and deserve to your list. 
As a mom, independent business owner, and human blessed with many relationships, I spend a lot of time giving. So one of the greatest gifts of therapy for me has been the ability to know that someone is holding space for and listening to me. No filter required. I adjust my session frequency as needed, and it is a huge comfort knowing support is there for me. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. This online therapy platform was designed to remove the traditional barriers to therapy and make mental health care more accessible to everyone. Simply fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash edit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash edit. Did you know that hyaluronic acid naturally occurs in our skin but decreases gradually as we age, leading to thinner, drier skin? If you're looking for support hydrating your skin from the inside out, check out one of the tools in my hydration arsenal, Rituals Hyacera. Clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days, I take Hyacera every morning with my first glass of water, and like all of the Ritual products I have tried, the capsule actually smells good. Ritual's products are tested and validated by a third party for allergens, microbes, and heavy metals. They also engage in industry-leading sustainability standards and are a female-founded B Corp, which means they hold themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. Want to join me in hydrating from the inside out? Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash edit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash edit for 25% off. Hello, friends. We are back with the wonderful Stella Grisant. Let's talk about values. I love talking about values, Stella, and it is something that can be applied to pretty much everything. And on the show, values have come up in relation to everything from decluttering to food to creativity to sex ed, you name it. In your book, I love that you articulate a series of steps related to identifying your values. Can you share from your particular perspective why identifying your values is so important when it comes to workplace happiness? Yes. And I love that you talk about values in relation to all of those things, because it is values are our guardrails for making decisions for what actions we take, what uh, what choices we we make towards being who we want to be in this world. And when we're not living in alignment with our values, we're living in alignment with someone else's. Mm hmm. And I liken the idea of identifying your values as uh, doing the laundry and then taking all the clothes out of the dryer and then folding them in stacks and then making sure you have your stack and then, you know, your other people in your family have their stack and then everything is nice and neat and you know where your favorite socks are and your favorite t-shirt and your jeans. Because otherwise, you know, people often say, well, I know my values and I, and I challenge them like, well, how are you using them every day? And if you're not consciously using them, what, what's really happening is that you've left all your clothes in the dryer with your, your, your 
husbands or your significant others and your kids mm. and your friends. And so sometimes you forget that you left your favorite pair of socks in that dryer. Um, sometimes you've even forgotten about your favorite t-shirt. And so maybe sometimes you put on someone else's um, t-shirt. And so what we have to do is, of course, you know your values, but unless you really intentionally articulate them for yourself and have them organized and have them ranked as I guide people through, then it can get kind of messy and blurry and decision-making can be overwhelming. And I want to help people make decisions in their work, in their everyday, in their career, so that they can feel confident and aligned. Um, so why is it important to workplace happiness? Because uh, when you know your values, you open up possibilities for how to feel fulfilled at work. Oftentimes, when it comes to success, we think that success at work means getting the next title, getting the next promotion, getting that next big win. It becomes a series of achievements. Mm -hmm. But we can achieve all these amazing things and still be left feeling empty, still be left feeling miserable, burnt out, like wondering what was all that for? And values, if we make choices in alignment with our values, we're more likely to set goals that actually fill us up, mm. that actually bring us alive, that actually make us feel more of who we are. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And I don't know if you would agree, but I feel like values conversations often are happening sort of in the more like personal home, individualistic spectrum. And I think the reason I love how you're bringing it into this workspace is because things are so much blurrier now too. I mean, it is all related and the boundaries between work and home are really overlapping now. Yes. And, you know, that's because we're, I think that's actually a beautiful thing because we're starting to be more whole wherever we show up. And that's not a bad thing. And I often help my clients articulate their values so they can have more enriching developmental conversations with their managers. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. so often it's like, when am I up for the next promotion? And you might get that next promotion, but you might still feel really bored or unchallenged or overlooked. But if you talk to your manager about, hey, you know, one of my values is being creative. Are there any projects where I can have a chance to really think differently about a, about this product or, or create a task force for innovation, right? So when your managers actually know what your values are, suddenly you're giving them a roadmap for ways to engage you, leverage your strengths, and help you be more satisfied at work. So it's a win-win um, when we know our values, when we can express them, and then when we can actually use our one-on-ones or our, our professional development goals to to bolster them. Oh, I love it. And that creative example is the example around creativity. That's so helpful. And to the listener who was asking for advice about showing up to work as a human, not a robot, definitely yes. read the values chapter. Um, okay. So I want to ask you 
about uncertainty because one of the things I've heard about a lot from people is the anxiety, the feeling of getting stuck due to uncertainties, for example, volatility in the job market, you know, the fact that robots are screening resume submissions, imposter syndrome, you name it. So I love what you talked about earlier about identifying what is true. And I'm hoping you can share another key tactic. I mean, you have a million in the book, so I'm assuming so, uh, to disrupting uncertainty so you can move forward. Yeah. So one of the things I talk about in the book, I have a whole chapter on it. It's, it's activating your play mindset. So most of the time, our, our brain's number one job, our brain's number one job is to identify patterns and it's to diminish uncertainty. Like that's our brain's number one job. And that's why sometimes we gloss over typos because our brain automatically unscrambles typos. Mm -hmm. And it's a pattern making machine. Well, not a machine, but (laughs) but in some ways, kind of. Mm -hmm. And so when we detect uncertainty, it's natural for our brain to see that as a threat and to tag uncertainty as a threat. And that's where anxiety starts to develop, right? Um, Because we think, oh my goodness, if there's all this uncertainty, maybe it means I'm going to lose something. I'm going to lose the way things were. I'm going to put this relationship at risk. I might lose my job or my standing, right? But not only are we, is our brain wired to see uncertainty as a risk, it also, the good news is, wired to see uncertainty as fun. Mm. And Mm -hmm. so that's what happens when we kick into our play mindset. Because think about when you're going to a new restaurant, you're planning a vacation you've never been on. Maybe you're um, going to a party and you're going to meet new people. Uh, All of those things are also uncertainties, but they present as novelties. And the only difference between whether we see something as a novelty and exciting or we see it as a threat and bad is how safe we feel in our bodies. Mm. And so playfulness is a mechanism that our nervous system uses to help us adapt to uncertainty and to maintain homeostasis. And so we have evolved as humans to be playful, to adapt to change and uncertainty. And so when we're facing uncertain times, we can actually allow ourselves, if we can consciously tell ourselves, okay, there's a lot of unknowns. How might I, how might I let myself be a little playful with this moment. And I guide readers on how to activate that play mindset. But the first thing is we can shift what feels really heavy into an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Okay. So instead of, oh my God, I have to, I have to deal with this new boss. I have to deal with all these organizational changes. Maybe it's, I get to have new leadership and an opportunity to influence in a new way. Maybe it's how can I see this as an shift it from an I have to to an I get to? Maybe instead of this is going to suck and you feel straight up dread when it comes to 
having a difficult conversation or going into a meeting you're not prepared for, maybe you could say to yourself with curiosity, I wonder how this will go. I wonder how I might even be delighted. Mm -hmm. I wonder how this person might surprise me. So when I was dealing with all my IVF and just my mom's diagnosis and then the pandemic, you know, I kept saying to myself, I wonder, I wonder how this might all delight me. I wonder how this might work out. I wonder how this might actually help me grow. That's so powerful. And I kind of feel like it would be helpful to put, you know, I wonder dot, dot, dot on a sticky or something on your computer or wherever you, wherever one spends a lot of time, just because it's such a good reminder to, you know, reframe to the possibility. It's, it's my go-to. I, 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 sometimes I say it sarcastically to the universe because it's like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like what, what's going on? Like this all sucks right now. And then I'm like, all right, I wonder, let me see what you got. Like, I wonder it's not over yet. And then, and it's not over yet when it sucks. That's what I also Mm -hmm. tell myself. It's just not over yet. So Mm -hmm. I wonder how this is all going to like serve me because it, it always does. Like growth is inevitable. Like you might not, it, it might not like feel like a feel good ride but you will grow. Yeah, absolutely. Well, my next question for you is related. I love these lines in your book. You write, to refocus means to return to yourself and what matters when you inevitably hit a setback, get derailed, feel stuck, or are lost. Refocusing is a willingness to see an obstacle not only for what it blocks, but also for what it opens. So I know this is related to what we were just talking about, but I'm curious about whether there's a refocusing practice that your clients have found especially helpful or that they've been really willing to engage in. Yeah. So I wrote this chapter when the originally refocusing was going to be a chapter on focusing and getting things done Mm -hmm. (laughs) and Mm -hmm. achieving your goals. And I couldn't finish this chapter. I wrote it over 10 times. And I literally had a primal scream in my car uh, one day when trying to finish this chapter. And I found myself really frustrated at the irony of writing a chapter on getting things done and staying focused. And I couldn't get things done and stay focused. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, okay what is this about? You know, I was just like, what is this trying to show me? And, and that's when I, I had this quiet voice, um, remind me about all the, all the lessons this book has been teaching me and all the lessons that life had been teaching me, um, in the the last five years or so about trust Mm -hmm. and uh, about patience and about witnessing just how all of those detours were, were in service of my growth, my fulfillment, my development, my life. And so when I, now I don't wrestle as hard or 
Um, I, sometimes I'll still like put up a little, of, little bit of a fight. But when we experience that extreme resistance, I see it as instructional. And so I will ask, you know, what is this here to teach me? Um, how is this instructional? How is this serving me? What am I, how else might I look at this? Um, because when we grip on too tightly to a goal, or when we push too hard and go into overdrive, not only do we risk our well-being, but sometimes we miss we miss the gem that life is trying to, you know, hand us. I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, no, it just I have so many, I don't know, I have a lot of imagery going through my head, yeah. but I think it I think it really is so important to think about those tough moments and the really hard patches around, you know, what is this moment trying? It's clearly trying to tell you something. So, yeah, it's an invitation to listen and it's a new paradigm for creating mm. because our paradigm for creation in our society is push, get it done and, um, you know, give it your all, be unstoppable. And I think that the pandemic, we could also use that as instructional and, well, we need to take care of ourselves mm -hmm. and we can't bypass the people that we love. We can't bypass our own health. We can't bypass our own truth uh, for uh blind ambition and creation or pushing. So how might we sink into what's really true for us and what's coming through, even if it doesn't make sense, even if it's not what we thought we were signing up for? Mm. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. All right, Stella, we're going to cut to another quick break, and then we're going to talk about toxic people. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you you listen to your podcasts. Hello, friends. We are back with Stella Grisant. And here's a great question to ask you about, <laughs> Stella. Let's talk about toxic people, because even if you have a job you really care about, toxic people feel so out of the sphere of one's control, especially if you work directly together. For example, the boss who seems well aware of the power differential and lords that over you, or perhaps the less or flat out incompetent coworker who keeps getting pumped up while others get axed. There are so many different scenarios. So what is one of your top tactics for handling toxic work relationships? Oh, this is, you know, I, I know we're so many people are dealing with this and it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing that I, I work on my clients with is to make sure that they have a conversation. And I call it, I, I have a whole chapter on how to approach yes. those conversations um, because oftentimes people don't because they think that those, those toxic people can't handle a conversation. And maybe maybe they can't, but you have to do what's within your control and make sure that you're speaking up for your needs, especially if your ability to do your job well is being compromised. Mm. It definitely deserves a conversation because you're there to do a job. And if you can't do your job well, if you can't be your best self, um, if you feel like they're impairing your capacity to contribute, then it's worth a conversation. And the number one thing when it comes to having a conversation versus a confrontation is your energy. Mm -hmm. And that's why I tell people to delay this encounter until you in your body are at least willing to be curious about this other person, to be open and to be open to possibilities, to be open to being surprised and delighted, mm-hmm. to, to really go in there with a level of, I am here to understand and I'd really love for you to understand too. Mm. And I can't tell you how many miracles my clients have witnessed uh, when they really do this well. And they will tell me, I wish I would have done this 
months ago. Because mm-hmm. that would have saved me so many sessions of crying in the bathroom, right? Or that I, I wish I would have done this months ago because I would have had more money by now. Or I would have been on this other project by now. Or, you know, this cleared up so many things. I had a client who was on the verge of quitting. She she started the work happiness method. The work happiness method, which is the name of my book, actually is a coaching program that I, mm-hmm. I've been offering for over a decade. And so she joined the program and she um, she's like, I'm on the verge of quitting. I want your help to help me figure out what's next. I was like, okay, great. So we did the, um, we went through the first several uh, skills and she, she out of the blue called me and she said, I have to tell you what, what just happened. And she said, my friend asked me how I was doing and how was work. And she said, I didn't even realize what came out of my mouth. I said, I love my job. Mm. And she's like, I couldn't believe it because I was so ready to quit because my boss was such an hole. And, and he was, I felt like he was sabotaging my every move. And ever since I did this work and we had that talk, it's been a completely different situation. And she's like, I have new opportunities. I feel like I'm being supported. It's just like, it was a game changer. So, so the, I would, I, I, I feel like I would encourage everyone to do, read that chapter because so much of the work in having that difficult conversation with this difficult person, the most difficult conversation you have to have with is with yourself mm-hmm. first. And it's about really sorting what is going on for you and what do you really, really need? What foundational needs are being violated? What future, what would you like your ideal future to look like with this person? What specifically do you want to change? You know, what, so it, it, it really requires preparation. And that's why I call the skill approach because how you approach before you even begin, that's going to determine the outcome. And I encourage people, if you're dealing with difficult, like, and then after you have it, you can, like, you know, you have to at least give it a try. And then if nothing changes, well then, okay, well, how might I, how might I create healthy boundaries so that I, I can interact less with this person? How do I, how might I create healthy boundaries so that I can have more positive interactions with other people at work? Um, or do I have to take it to the next level and consider another role, another team, or even another job? But first, at least have the conversation. Yeah, I think what I love about your approach to approach <laughs> or approaching <laughs> is it seems to me to be this kind of incredible exercise in humility. You know, you mentioned bringing a sense of curiosity and maybe even delight to what you might learn. And this exercise and considering your approach and thinking about how to connect on a human level, it's really, I mean, it's kind of everything we've been talking about, about connecting to your values and viewing people as humans, not robots, and remembering that any, you know, conflict has multiple players. So we we may play a role in our conflicts. It's all really important. So I just love that and wanted to say that because I think uh, the more humble we can be in our lives and uh, the more forgiving we can be to ourselves and others as well. Exactly. I just got chills as you said that, because that is the point. It's when we recognize, even if we contributed 1%, 
1% to whatever it was that was happened. A miscommunication, not being clear, accepting the asshole behavior, whatever it was. When we actually take responsibility, we're using our agency. That's mm-hmm. actually an act of power mm-hmm. rather than playing the victim. So, um, listen, I, if someone, I, I've had clients who were yelled at by their boss, like inexcusable behavior. Um, and through this work, they were able to get their confidence back. Mm-hmm. They, they were, you know, they went from crying in meetings to actually standing in their power with this bully and finding their way through a really, really tough situation. Mm. It's beautiful. Just beautiful. Okay, Stella. Well, I know that you're busy. You're, you're, you've got a book launching and all that. So I'm going to close us out here. And at the end of each show, I ask my guests to share what I call your next edit. It's a super actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening to this conversation. So in the context of what we've chatted about, I would love for you to share what your next edit is for this episode. Ah, love this. I would encourage people you know, the very first thing, one of the earliest things I do with my clients is to help them get clear on their unique definition of success, Mm. because that should be guiding everything. The point of our values is to guide our decisions towards our vision, towards our vision of success. And so my suggestion would be to get clear on your unique vision of success, which is not a list of achievements, but a description of who you are being in your most alive, vital, energized state. And I, I have an exercise that they can they can download if they want some prompts. It's called the Vision Generator. It's at visiongenerator.com. It's free. It's also in my book. And it's the very first thing I do with my clients because it all starts with being clear on who you want to be because you get to choose who you want to be. Mm, That's so wonderful. And the perfect way to close. Stella, I'm so grateful to you for taking the time amidst your launch and joining me on the mic today. This has been such a beautiful and restorative uh, conversation. I really love talking to you. I am holding my heart because I feel just equally, this was so, so wonderful. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Take care. Okay, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life a review on Apple Podcasts or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? 
And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.